Hello and welcome to a new podcast series from Swansea University. Uh, my name's Sam Webster. You might recognise me from the Anatomy and Embryology podcast. And I have with me... Dr. Phil Newton. Oh, Dr. Phil Newton today. Well, oh. you know, i throw my qualifications around a bit. How are you, Dr. Phil? I'm a bit tired, but otherwise well. Phil has a new baby and chickens. Mm-hmm. And they both keep me awake. Yes. And of course, this is a very demanding job, which is very tiring. Yes. Yes. Um, so... You might know me as the anatomy and embryology lecturer here, and I've recorded a few podcasts in the past. Phil is keen to teach you lot uh, neuroscience through the medium of podcast. And Phil is our new boy, our new neuroscience lecturer. Aren't you, Phil? I am indeed. Yes. Um, so what we're planning to do is similar to what we've done with the embryology podcast series in that we're going to record probably a series of podcasts helping our students in Swansea um, by kind of re-recording the lecture but suited for the podcast format, there's little differences, aren't there? Yes, yeah. we'll make it a little less formal and maybe explain some concepts that we haven't covered in detail in the lecture, but really just go over the key concepts in the lecture Yeah, as a revision tool. So the aim is that this podcast series will be the stuff that medical students need to know. Yes. Um, neuroscience students, yeah, there'll be useful stuff in here for them, but it'll probably maybe a little bit... To some of them will be useful eventually as we get a bit further down the line. Also, right. psychiatry students as well. But uh, neuroscience students should probably be familiar with the concepts we're going to talk about today. If they don't know what an action potential is, then uh, they might want to rethink their honours degree. Yeah. Um, and it's going to have a clinical bent as well. Yes. Probably. So we're trying to keep med students interested, which it can't be easy to keep med students interested in neuroscience, can it? Neuroscience is the the most fascinating and most important discipline that any medical student will learn, Sam. Of course it is. That's what I say about embryology. And they believe me after a couple of lectures as well. Say that to me again? They believe me after a couple of lectures as well. They're just nodding and smiling politely, Sam. Oh, is that what it is? Because they think if they, they agree with you, then they'll get through it sooner. And the ones at the back with their head in their hands, they're just sleeping or don't get it. Yeah, or it was a heavy night. Yeah, or they're listening to the podcast. And it's put them to sleep. <laughs> Well, I have heard it has been used for that before. I, you know, whatever it takes. Okay, so Phil, what's what's your background? I said you're the new boy, so you're new to neuroscience teaching, but you've got a, a long history in neuroscience itself, right? I have a, a, a background in neuroscience and neuropsychiatric research, mostly very basic science. So you've been, as a researcher, you've been looking at the minutiae, the nitty-gritty, looking at this whole neuroscience thing from the inside out, from the cutting edge. I have been pushing back the boundaries of scientific research in neuroscience, yes. Sweet. And now you And now I've decided I want to share basic neuroscience with the world. <laughs> Good. Yeah, and that's the aim of this podcast, is that it's for anybody who wants to listen to this sort of stuff, so it's available to anybody who wants it. I know we've had some good feedback in the past from medical students, so I guess that's going to be a, a similar audience, because those guys are struggling with exams no they won't struggle with neuroscience they'll be inspired this will be easy because they've listened to this series yes sweet excellent so what sort of things are we going to cover in this podcast series in the podcast series we will we will uh attempt to generate a podcast from every lecture i think and cover some of the really revise the basic concepts the key concepts that we covered in the lecture maybe expand on things that students have come to me and said they have problems with and uh, summarise what's in the lecture for revision purposes. Okay, and as as I'm, my neuroscience knowledge is, is, is a tad weak, I know where the brain is roughly, 
and there's some stringy stuff coming out of it which connects to other parts of the body the less interesting part yeah yeah i, I quite like those stringy yeah. bits yeah you also like cartilage sam i do yeah articular cartilage is very interesting let's just talk about that for an hour shall we uh we could probably talk about that for an hour if you talk <laughs> but you'd probably sleep cartilage it's it's not my domain of expertise it will be when you get older when i don't have any exactly okay um I forgot what I was going to say. You were going to ask. You were asking me what we were going to talk about. We're going to talk about. Ah, yes. No, I was going to say that uh, I'm going to, as my neuroscience isn't very good, I'm going to be asking the stupid questions that maybe students are a little bit afraid to ask. I'm going to try and pick up on the stuff that is a little bit tricky. Not that there's any such. There's no such thing as a stupid question, obviously. But if there were, I will ask it. If the, if anyone was going to ask a stupid question, Sam. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, Phil's going to teach me neuroscience as he teaches the world neuroscience. Uh, yes, I, I will. I will pitch it at your level, Sam. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh! I love you, really. <laughs> okay, so today, what are we going to talk about? Today, we're going to talk about basic, very basic, fundamental concepts to all neuroscience. We're going to talk about uh, what the neuron is, the basic building block of the nervous system, this major cell type in the nervous system, and we're going to talk about how it. How neurons talk to each other, basically. Okay. And they are electrically excitable cells, and they talk to each other through the medium of electricity and chemistry. So we're going to talk about how they generate electrical signals and how those electrical signals are then propagated between neurons. Sweet. Let's go. All right. Well, I guess we will start with uh, the resting membrane potential, which is the biophysical basis by which neurons store up the ability to generate an electrical signal and all it basically is is the the idea that across the membrane of the neuron there are differences in the concentration of certain key ions so, so between have, inside and outside the cell yes exactly so we have differences in the concentration of sodium potassium calcium chloride and inorganic anions and the differences in the concentration of those neurons generate an electrical uh, potential across the membrane. So the outside of the cell, the outside of a neuron, is positively charged relative to the inside when the neuron is, as we say, at rest. Uh-huh. So when it's kind of ready to go and it's not even doing anything, it has a bunch of positively charged ions and negatively charged ions inside or outside to generate that. Yes. difference yes, in charge indeed. so i guess they have to be pumped in or out otherwise they would they would kind of like settle yes. down and equalize they do indeed so the sodium potassium exchanger is a key uh player in the generation and maintenance of the resting membrane potential it chucks sodium out of the cell and it pumps uh, potassium into the cell three three sodium ions out for every two of, of potassium that come in and it takes a lot of atp but it's absolutely essential for the electrical functioning of a neuron. So you, you need to put energy in to pump these things around just to yes. keep the cell at rest. Yes. It doesn't sound very restful. It's, it, rest is perhaps a misleading term. It's primed and ready to go. Ah. And I, I guess the, the, the key thing to, to remember about the resting membrane potential is that you have two forces at work. Okay, You have the electrical charge that we talked about with the outside being positive and the inside being negative and then you have 
the chemical force of the concentration gradients of those different ions. And both of those are used by the neuron when it decides that it wants to when it decides it no longer wants to be at rest and it wishes to fire an action potential. Okay, so it's been told, triggered, to fire an action potential? Yes. So what happens then? Well, it's it's perhaps worth pausing a second to consider what it is that does the telling. Yes. Yeah. It's a question that many students asked me. I decided to start merely with the resting membrane potential and talk about action potentials in our lecture. And... Those students who are particularly keen obviously ask the question, well, where does the action first action potential come from? Ah, an and, inquiring bunch. Well, they're, they're a smart bunch, our medical mm. students. Ask the difficult questions. Well, it's not a difficult question. It's very straightforward, and we will talk about it in week 129 when we talk about movement and um, how the stretching of a muscle, for example, generates an action potential. But the basic message is sensory information. Right. So when you look at something or when you hear something or when a muscle moves, uh, various sensory receptors, which we will talk about eventually, uh, initiate the, fir the firing of the first action potential in the chain. And that was the door. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, I guess the simplest thing for us to do is to talk through the various phases of the action potential um, one by one. So an action potential is very simply what happens when um, a neuron decides to fire an electrical signal that will eventually result in it communicating with its neighbor neurons. So we're talking about a really, really long cell. In many cases, yes, people's traditional view of a neuron, which they may have got in, say, A-level biology, is of a very, very long cell traveling like all the way down the spine or yeah, from one part of the brain to another. There are very short, spindly, stubby neurons in many parts of the brain. But if we imagine we've got a really, really long cell, yes. so the action potential then is how that signal is going to down the length of that cell. Exactly. So Being the descriptive term. Uh, yeah, it's not a noise I can make. I don't think my <laughs> mouth is shaped that way. I could say ping, perhaps. Ping, okay. Um, and I've lost me. All right. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what we'll on. do is we'll talk about how the signal comes into the neuron to start with. Yeah. And how it is initiated. And then uh, how it travels down the neuron. And then what happens when it gets to the end of the neuron and wishes to transfer across between neurons and start the whole process again on another neuron. Okay. So <clears throat> at the beginning, we have uh, the binding of neurotransmitter released by, uh, shall we say, our previous neuron onto our current neuron. Okay. And that neurotransmitter opens ligand-gated iron channels. Ooh. I know, it's fascinating and exciting stuff. So these ligand-gated channels... Um, will open and allow sodium to flood into the neuron. Okay? Now, our resting membrane potential, we talked about there being differences in the concentration of various ions. Yeah. There's a lot more sodium outside the cell than there is inside the cell. Yeah. Okay, so there's a concentration gradient. Yeah. You open up a hole through which only sodium can travel, and thus sodium comes pouring into the cell, down okay. its concentration gradient. So your neurotransmitter... 
binds on to the ligand gated ligand gated channel channel uh-huh. opens up the channel whoosh in it goes whoosh indeed sodium comes whooshing in and the result of that sodium whooshing in uh, down its chemical gradient is to affect the electrical potential across the membrane of the neuron uh-huh okay so uh that local change in membrane potential raises the um the potential, the membrane raises the resting membrane potential to what we call threshold. Uh huh. Okay, so you have a local depolarization caused by the opening of these ligand gated ion channels. When that reaches a certain point, then we have voltage gated ion channels ah. that sense a change in membrane potential. Yeah. They then open and allow sodium to flood in. And then uh-huh. we have the beginnings of an action potential. All right, and those, I guess, are staggered all the way down the length of the neuron. Yes, indeed. And it goes, bum, 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 bum. There is no change in the frequency or intensity of the bum. <laughs> is a key concept in the action potential. It does not change its intensity as it travels down the neuron. But we'll get to that <laughs> later on. Don't worry. But we get the idea. Yes. Okay. Um, it's uh, something I didn't really mention in the lecture, and it's worth emphasizing. You, you know, you can have a few receptors activated a few ligand gated channels open that may not be enough to trigger an action potential you have to reach this phenomenon that we call threshold yeah which uh for those who are interested in the numbers is approximately minus 40 millivolts okay all right so once we've reached threshold our voltage gated sodium channels open and then things happen very very quickly okay our sodium comes flooding into the cell very rapidly, and the resting membrane potential is effectively turned on its head. Okay, the, yep. the, the chemical gradients get all messed up, obviously, because sodium comes flooding in. This messes up the electrical gradients, and the cell depolarizes. Uh-huh. Okay? And this happens in a local fashion. Okay, so it starts, it's a case of simplicity, it starts at the beginning of the neuron, and as we'll talk about in a few moments, then travels down the neuron. Uh, so the voltage-gated sodium channels open, and the cell neuron fully depolarizes. And once it reaches a certain level of depolarization, and it's chocked full of sodium, then the sodium channels close. Uh-huh. And this is what we call the peak of the action potential. Right. And this is a very key point, key phase. Um, the Reaching this peak filling up with tons of sodium uh, triggers the opening now of voltage-gated potassium channels. Right. Okay, so the rising phase, the initial phase, the reaching the threshold, and the rising phase all involve sodium. Yeah. Once we get to the top of the action potential, yeah. we then initiate what we call the falling phase, and we open voltage-gated potassium channels. Right. Okay, which then allow potassium to flood back out of the cell. Okay. Okay, so you have two positively charged ions moving in opposite directions. Yeah, I think I see where this is going. And what happens is eventually we end up back down at our resting membrane potential. Yeah. Okay, so our chemical balance is all messed up, but our electrical uh, balance is maintained, uh, not maintained, it's restored by letting sodium go flooding out of the cell. Potassium. Potassium. They're all the same, aren't they? You know? <laughs> Positively charged, small, you know, they set on fire yeah. when you put them on water. That's sure. Um, 
Okay, so our voltage, our voltage gated potassium channels are also triggered by the change in membrane potential. So their opening is triggered by the same thing that triggers the voltage gated sodium channel stuff. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But they open with a one millisecond delay. What does that mean? Why is that relevant? That means you, rather than them having them opening at the same time and the uh, chemical gradients cancelling each other out and there being no change in the electrical signal. Yeah. Because the potassium channels open with a one millisecond delay, you get the, this electrical signal generated. That allows okay. that peak. Exactly. To occur. Exactly. And it allows the action potential to remain local, as it were. Okay. So you have this, this all happens in a very local um, fashion. And then if you imagine the action potential is occurring in a very small section of the neuron, that section then travels down mm. the neuron. Okay. Okay. But as more sodium floods, floods into a particular area, it, in the one particular locality, it triggers the action potential. But that sodium diffuses out yeah. either side. And where it diffuses forward, it then triggers the opening of more voltage gated sodium channels. Uh, so more sodium comes in, which diffuses out in front, which et cetera, et cetera. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. You would see how that works. Now. You are looking enraptured, Sam. <laughs> yeah, well, this is more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Is it more interesting than articular cartilage? No. It's more interesting than it was when I first did it 15 years ago. Okay. Well, we'll work on it. Don't worry. <laughs> and it's a, actually a concept I, I meant to mention at the very beginning. This is, um, if you think this, these concepts are in any way difficult, this is the most difficult neuroscience will be as part of the, the medical course, at least. I don't believe you. Everything we, nothing we do from here will be more complex in a biophysical sense. Okay. All Good. right. Yeah. Yeah, I look forward to that then. <laughs> so it's it's downhill from here. All right, so where were we? Falling phase. All right, so our sodium has uh, has done its thing, has gone tanking out of our cell. And what happens is our neuron overcompensates ever so slightly. And you can think of it as it letting too much sodium, potassium. Too much potassium out. Right, yeah. And so having gone from the threshold to the rising phase to the peak to the falling phase, we now enter a, a period called after hyperpolarization. Uh-huh. Okay, where the membrane potential dips below what it was at rest. Right, okay. And the only thing you really need to remember about this phase is the concept that because the resting membrane potential is dipped below what it was at rest, it is now harder to fire another action potential. Ah. Okay, and this is just the period where basically the neuron sorts itself out. It's sodium potassium exchanger, sorts out the... It's uh, got to start pumping the ions back around again exactly. to get back to that resting phase. There's a little bit of a delay then before you can use that neuron again. Exactly. Ah. So it prevents... Um, it allows the neuron to recover, prevents it from becoming uh, chemically exhausted and uh, prevents wild and uncontrollable action potential firing. So how big is that delay normally, roughly? Uh, on a time scale, it's it's about a millisecond. <laughs> right. It's huge. Our neurons are pretty quick. Yeah, they are, aren't they? The whole, the whole firing of an action potential from initiation back to the maintenance of the resting potential is about three milliseconds. Wow. With the peak occurring just before one millisecond. Mm. That's why... That's why you're so smart, Sam. 
because your neurons act so quickly. I'm glad they act quickly. Um, if only a bone grew, same same <laughs> later. Yeah, I'm sat here with a broken foot. It's not repairing that quickly. And he hasn't mentioned it at all until this point. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten it was there. <laughs> this was I was so interested in this. I forgot it was there. I'm glad it's good for something. <laughs> the analgesic effects of neuroscience lecturing. Yes, I'm going to use it to sleep too later. <sighs> all right. So what we're talking about. All right, and an analogy that has been used and I guess may be used again is that um, the after hyperpolarization phase or what we call also the refractory period is a bit like when you flush the toilet. The cistern has to refill before, before you, you flush can. It again. Yeah, okay. All right? Yeah, good. Um, okay. A clinical, add some clinical relevance, some pharmacological relevance into these uh, concepts to to demonstrate to you that they're not just abstract science and they are actually important. Uh, many local anesthetics and anticonvulsant drugs act by blocking voltage gate sodium channels. Uh, and in so doing, they block the firing of action potential. Uh-huh. So things like lidocaine, which may be called lignocaine in the UK, I don't know, and carbamazepine which is marketed as Tegretol. They block voltage-gated sodium channels. Oh. The action potentials don't fire. And your neurons are quiet and maintained at rest. Clever. If you eat uh, sushi from a puffer fish from Fugu, oh, yes. and you eat the wrong bit or it's not been carved correctly, and you die, which is a very common side effect of eating Fugu sushi, then you will have died because your voltage-gated sodium channels will be blocked with tetrodotoxin. Wow. So as you take your last breaths, you will at least know what is happening to you. If you can remember that word. Which word? Tetra. You can at least be aware of the concept that your voltage-gated sodium channels are being blocked. Yes, good. Okay, so that's what happened to Homer, or didn't happen to Homer Simpson. I must admit that. thought he was dying but didn't die. Apparently the very best pufferfish sushi should make your lips tingle. Oh, I don't like that idea. Because you have just the right amount of tetrodotoxin oh. to make your lips and tongue go a little bit numb. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, some people get excitement from sushi. Mm. It's, it's other people's articular cartilage. Yeah. All right, so what can I tell you about action potentials? Uh, a couple of extra key features of the action potential that we should mention. I think we may have already mentioned the fact that they do not... Uh, degrade as they travel down the axon. And they are also an all-or-nothing phenomenon, which I, again, I think we touched on briefly earlier. Um, Once an action potential is triggered, it will fire, and that's that. You don't have a big action potential or a small action potential or whatever. No, Just is what it is and just goes and does its job. A binary thing, yes or no. And... Something else important we should mention is that they travel faster down the axon when that axon is myelinated. Yes. So myelin is electrical insulation tape for neurons. Um, That's really all you need to know about it. It's mostly lipid, 80% lipid, 20% protein. It's wrapped around the neuron in various different ways depending upon the type of neuron. Uh And it insulates the electrical signal. And it's important because many disorders that we will cover in later weeks uh, are associated with a disruption of that myelin. So multiple sclerosis, 
uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, things like that, are, yep. are demyelinating disorders. Yeah. And they're not very good. Sure. All right. So that's that's how an action potential travels down a neuron. Do you think you understand everything, Sam? Yes, I think I could pass a test on that now. You do? I do. We may have to put that test to the test. <laughs> yeah, no, that was good. That was, uh, yeah, I mean, it's something I, I, I know about, but of course I haven't thought about it for many, many years, and some of it came back, and yeah, no, it was good. Now you're enraptured. Yes, looking forward to the next one. <laughs> well, that's only action potentials. Now we're going to talk about what happens when the action potential oh, yes. gets to the end of the neuron. We're going from one cell to another cell now. Exactly. Okay, yeah. So the action potential is just the neuron finding its voice. And then when it wants to talk to the next neuron, it has to turn that electrical signal into a chemical signal. Ah. All right. Your voltage gated calcium channel. It is the mechanism via which electricity is turned into chemistry. So you're going to ask me a question. I was going to say, so we've talked about sodium and potassium so far, have we, those channels? Yes. And now we're talking about a calcium channel. Yes. So a third type of channel. It's the third type of channel, and it's really the um, the action potential itself only really involves sodium, potassium, sodium and potassium actually, and then turning that into neurotransmitter release, which is what happens at the end of the action potential, involves calcium. And the inorganic anions we talked about earlier are only really important because they help maintain the resting membrane potential. Yeah. And the chloride ions, which we'll talk about perhaps in a few moments are important um, for the actions of inhibitory neurotransmitters. Yeah. So everything oh, we've yeah. talked about so far, it's really what happens when an excitatory neurotransmitter um, activates a neuron and tells it to talk to the next neuron. All right, so the action potential travels down the neuron. Yep. The axon the reaches what we call the axon terminal, which is the end of the neuron. And our voltage-gated calcium channels sense this change in membrane potential that occurs when the action potential arrives. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they open and let calcium come in. And I've told the students about this probably, I don't know, 15 times. So they're probably sick to death of it by now. Calcium comes in and uh, initiates a whole series of biochemical events, which we don't need to worry about in great detail and they cause the release of neurotransmitter from one neuron, which then travels across what we call the synaptic cleft yep, and binds to neurotransmitter receptors on the next neuron, and the whole process continues again. And that's it, so the neurotransmitter binds, and off it goes again. It, off it goes again if it is an excitatory neurotransmitter that is released, yep. and the appropriate neurotransmitter receptors are present on the postsynaptic neuron. Ah. Okay, so the the gap over which the neurotransmitter travels is called the synaptic cleft, and that together with um, the terminals of the two neurons is called the synapse, or maybe the synapse. I can't remember which is British and which is American. I'm sorry. Me neither, Dave said it. So why wouldn't a receiving neuron have receptors for that neurotransmitter? Uh, it, well, it usually would, but the receptors come in a variety of different shapes and sizes. Yeah. So most neurotransmitters have many, many different um, forms of receptor. Serotonin has 17 different types of receptors. Really? And the effects of that serotonin are going to vary depending upon the receptors that are present uh. on the postsynaptic neuron. And See? we will talk all about that 
in our neurotransmitters podcast. So you're thinking in the brain, I'm still thinking in ganglia. I'm still thinking outside the brain, see? A bit primitive. Yeah, like like me, see? We'll we'll come on to them, I think, at some point. Um, What else can I tell you? Ah, yes. So briefly, we'll talk about chloride. Okay. Okay, so our neurotransmitter is released. It binds to our neurotransmitter receptor. And in the example we talked about earlier, that is a ligand-gated sodium channel. It lets sodium flood in. And starts the firing of another action potential. Yeah. If the neurotransmitter that is released is an inhibitory one, something like glycine or gamma aminobutyric acid, GABA, yeah. then the ligand-gated ion channel does not conduct sodium. It conducts chloride. Right. And chloride, there's already... Um, chloride travels down a chemical gradient exactly the same way sodium does. Okay, there's tons of chloride outside the cell. There's not much inside the cell. Mm. So when you open a chloride channel, chloride comes into the cell. Yeah. But chloride is negatively charged. Okay. The inside of the cell is already negatively charged. Yeah, yeah. So when you get more negative going in, it hyperpolarizes the neuron, which means that it is less likely to now fire an action potential. So that's how that works. That's how that works. See, I look at the diagrams. I never thought how it works. You don't have to worry about diagrams. You should, <laughs> you, I should show you some of my fascinating animations if you have time, Sam. Yeah. I know that the students particularly appreciate them. Good. Uh, yeah. They laugh at mine. They laugh at mine too. Oh, okay. <laughs> when I show them them for the 25th time. <laughs> I don't think it's a particularly amused laugh. It's more of a sort of sympathetic. <laughs> it's the sad little man with a sad little picture. Yeah, that, that's what I get, yeah. Well, at least we're the same. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much how it works. Um, that's pretty much all you need to know about action potentials and resting membrane potential and neurotransmitter release. Good, top stuff. So now we know how it all works. What oh. is it we're going to talk about next? Do you know? As in, in the next podcast or the next lecture? The next lecture um, that the the students will have received will have been a little bit of an aside about the neurobiology of appetite regulation which we will talk about eventually before the exams um, to generate some revision material but in terms of this theme the next thing we'll talk about is neurotransmitters okay we'll talk about all the different neurotransmitter types their different types of receptor what the different functions are what some drugs are that block them activate them etc etc okay sounds good Add some detail. Yeah, add some detail and then, yeah, see how it all hooks up. Yeah. Piece of cake. Good stuff. Yeah, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm, I'm still with it. You are? You sure? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Does your foot still hurt? I'll keep it up. No, I forgot it was there. So I did suggest <laughs> that the students um, uh, fill in the scaffold, as it were, look at a few other different uh, concepts related to this that we won't cover in detail in lectures. Um Neurons come in all different shapes and sizes. We touched upon that. Your archetypal one is a long, skinny one. There are ones that look like Christmas trees, ones that look like flowers. Yeah. All different shapes and sizes. Yeah. Just be aware of that. Yeah, it's helpful to know that they are a little bit different. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, obviously we've talked about one neuron releasing a neurotransmitter that then acts upon one other neuron. Yeah. It's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, Most neurons talk to hundreds thousands of other neurons really but we don't need to worry about that again in great detail don't fancy seeing that diagram 
it's the sort of diagram you look at and think, yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> I don't think I'll think consider it further. Okay. Um, and that's really it, I think. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, so oh. when are we going to punch these out? Kind of one for each lecture-ish, once every now and then again, once a I th- month? I think we'll try, and, we'll try and make one for each lecture and then maybe if there are um, concepts or subjects that lots of people have the same question about, then we might generate another podcast to address those questions. Yeah, if you have any specific questions, you can send us a request to s.v.webster at swansea.ac.uk and maybe we'll talk about it. Okay, yeah. I have a request that email address i'd like to send you a million pounds i'm a nigerian bank <laughs> yeah thanks <laughs> anytime i've had a few of those well thank you phil i think that was good it was a pleasure all right we'll do this again next time okay see you later Ta-da.